the tasks that I try to have every week as I bring uh, my book, as I bring messages, trying to figure out how do I speak to all of y'all every week. So look around and, and see. Okay, those of you online, you can just look at whoever else is in your house, you know. Uh, but but notice that we have quite an age spectrum here. Uh, how old? Let's see. Owen's the youngest so far. Owen, you're one, aren't you? Yeah. I was. He was the answer. <laughs> He's drinking. He's drinking. All right, I got it, buddy. You know, you lost matters sleep. That's why I won't tell you what cup of coffee, number of cup of coffee this is for me, because you say, I'm getting there. We have Owen, and then we have, you know, others of you that are not Owen's age. Look around, we have people who are, have been uh, a practicing Christian for longer than some of us have been alive. We have some of you who are very new in the faith. Those of you online, some of you, you're, you're not even sure what church really is about. Nor are you sure you want to be a part of a church. And some of you watching online, you've been in church all your life. Some of you have in-depth knowledge of Scripture. I think of Pastor Paul, Pastor Ken, uh, Ron Clutter that have studied and forgotten more of Scripture than I can remember. You know, uh, on that. And then we have those of you who go, I don't get any of that. And my task as a pastor is to preach stuff with all of you in mind every week. And so I know for some of you as we go through this, it can be very frustrating because you're like, I really want to know this. And others of you are like, I wish you would have just made it even simpler. And everywhere in between. I think it's important to keep in mind, I try to keep in mind all of you all every week. But as the passage this morning will go, there, this is such complex. I could go really in depth and some of you will blaze over and it has nothing to do with the hour less sleep you got. Or the lack of coffee you got. You're just not that interested. And others of you would go, oh yeah. Finally, something for me. And I would encourage you, we can always have deeper conversations, but I try to do things with all of us in mind. And it's not always easy, and I miss the mark many times, I believe. But see, timing is everything, and life is about timing. And preaching is about timing. I am, in a lot of regards, I, recall, I, I think of, I'm throwing out seeds that one day may bloom in some of you. At just the right time, we have that phrase, it'll be brought to fruition. Unfortunately, my timing is everything, and poor Ella Rose is like, uh-uh. <laughs> and you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> right? We know that. But I guarantee you, the ladies start praying. Sarah, the gas is on the right, just go. Okay. All right? From personal experience, just go. Yeah. All right, life is about timing. Katie, you're playing baseball, right? You a home run hitter? No. I didn't think so, but that's all right. All right? But to get a hit, you have to have right timing, don't you? A little too early, what happens? 
you miss. If you're maybe just a fraction too early, it's a foul ball. Hopefully out of play, they can't get it. Too late, what happens? Miss. You know, or it's off on the other side. Perfect timing, what normally happens? You got a chance to score. You got a chance of getting off. Maybe, maybe not. Timing is everything. We, uh, on the one good day that Paul and Sue gave us uh, from Florida, we were at uh, the ball fields. Just uh, my kids, funny story. So my littlest one, I'm going to try not to use her name because she heard her last week. And, and she came up right afterwards and said, why did you say my name? i got to know. So I'm going to try not to say her name. She's going to play t-ball this year. Lord help us all. <laughs> you guys get it over there, don't you? You know? All right. So we were learning, and it's like it's just a little, little too late. And, and when she got it, she got it. Now, did it go in the outfield? No. But it went forward. Timing is everything. Life is about timing. Life is about timing. And some of you within relationships know that a spoken word at the right time is very powerful. The same word spoken at the wrong time is nothing. Meaningless to some extent. You know, those of you who are, are farmers or gardeners, you know, you know you plant at the right time. You miss it, and that could be a really bad thing. At the same time, you harvest at just the right time. Leland, if you're five months late picking up wheat, what happens? Bad shape. Bad shape. Bad shape. You know, and, and, and it's true for all of us. Life is about timing. <coughs> Paul talks about this timing here in our text this morning. But he also does something else that I think is helpful for us. He asks the question, why? Don't we all ask why? You know, why? I mean, anybody who's been around kids much, you tell them to do something, why? I had this with one of my older kids last night. I said, go shower. Why? You stink. Why? Well, that's between you. I ain't going, you know. And, and why do I have to do it now? I said so. Why? Well, if you don't, I'm going to take away something. Okay. You know, why? Why? You know, now put those two together. And we get, when are we there? How long? And we live in a world right now where there's a lot going on, and some of us are going, how long, O Lord? And we can lead into this study of end times, which is important, but sometimes if we're asking so much of when are you coming back, we lose sight of what we are to be doing today. I have strong beliefs of what will happen in the future. I have strong beliefs that I believe are rooted in an in-depth study of Scripture. But I think as Paul tells us in these verses here, we have to get, we can't get so caught up on what God's timing will look like and said trust his timing. And in the meantime, we have a job to do. In the meantime, we have a mission to do. In the meantime, the Lord is revealing things. And so I'm going to ask you this question that frames all that I'm going to ask and talk about between. Are you a child or an adult? And I don't really mean necessarily age-wise. Though let's just be honest with our teenagers, it's really confusing to answer this question. 
Because are you an adult when you're 16, right, Jordan? Were you an adult at 16? What happened when you turned 16? What could you do that you couldn't do before? Drive, which meant what? Freedom. Mom and dad no longer had to drive you around. You have the power of the radio, right? Yeah, God, those are important things in life, you know? Or, or uh, who were you turn 18 here this summer, right? 19, so you're 18. Are you an adult now? Yeah, because you turned 18. Is he an adult now, mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but he can vote. He can, he, if, if heaven forbid there's a draft, he could be drafted, he could take a gun. Does that make him an adult? Jenna, you are turning what this Thursday? 23. 23. So you're over 21. Are you an adult? I'm not going to have you answer that, you know. But at 21, she could drink, right? Is she an adult and smoke legally? Not saying she did any of those at any point in time. Is she an adult? Do you see where the confusion for our poor teenagers are? When do they become an adult? No wonder we have probably an identity crisis during that time. Because you can't figure it out. Or is it later on when maybe they're 25, which study says that's finally when the front part of our brains kind of get formed fully. And they're finished with schooling. When are you an adult? I would also argue that there are many people who are chronologically over the age of 30 that are not adults. So, our text this morning is going to ask the question, are you a child or are you an adult? In regards to faith, in regards to what scripture says. And, and we read here that Paul starts this by asking the question, why did the law ever exist? Why do we have this law? The Judaizers, some Christians of the day of Galatia, was trying to say, you've got to follow the full law. And Paul has been arguing, no, no, no. In Christ alone, your justification. Faith in Christ is what matters. And so then the question really is, so why was it there? What was the point of the Old Testament to some extent? What is the point of Exodus? Well, Exodus has a different word. What's the point of, in particular, Leviticus? You know, I know that's what Jeff is teaching in Sunday school, and most of you aren't there. But some of you are like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't, you know, we don't follow a lot of that. Anybody ever had mold in your home? Did you burn your house down? You know, when our trustees found mold next door, Rusty, did you guys ever think of just burning it down? No. I mean, some probably thought, we could tear it down, maybe that would be okay. But you didn't think setting the torch to it, right? Did you have a priest come over and, and inspect it? Well, why not? If the law says you have, you know, those things. I mean, why the law then? The law revealed sin. If Paul talks about that the law was there to kind of reveal sin, or there's some thought of, was it to reveal sin, or was it because sin was already there, we needed the law in order to kind of correct sin a little bit? It's the old chicken in the egg. What happened first? Who knows? You know, and doesn't really matter if the chicken started in the egg or the egg started in the chicken. 
God could do a God once, and if he started with an egg, great. If he started with a chicken, great. Maybe both. Maybe he had a chicken with an egg. All right? All right? So it, it revealed sin. It revealed that something isn't right in this world, that there is a standard above this world. And, and, and it revealed it. He also goes on to say that the law was for a time essential. Verses 21, 22. He says, Scripture locked up everything under sin, the law, so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus may be given. See, what's going on in this book and, and some of the day, and I would argue maybe even some in our own, is we look to this law or this extra thing we uh, call legalism and we say that's the way. You've got to fully do that. And Paul's saying, ah, it was important, but it isn't essential anymore. Now, just because it isn't essential doesn't mean it's not good. Because he goes on to say, so does that mean, or he said prior, verse 21, the law is contrary to God's promises? Is the law against what God says? And he said, absolutely not. Don't even think about it. As many negatives as one could put in it. No. But for a time being, it was important. It's still good. I mean, is there anything wrong with don't kill? Don't murder? You know, is there anything wrong with that? No. Is there anything wrong with don't take what is not yours? Otherwise, Dad will go ahead and just... Uh, I'll come get my keys to my new car because I'm going to take your truck because I really want it. You keep paying. It's okay. You know, you, you going to be okay with that? No. Shannon, would you be okay paying for my new car on top of yours? No. All right. We would have a problem. All right? That's why lots of things. He's not saying it's bad, but the law was for a time being essential. And then he picks up another idea that I think is really important for us to understand. The law acted like a babysitter. Jordan, do you need a babysitter? Why not? Because you're old enough to watch yourself. If Jordan needs a babysitter, we would look and go, Jevin, Shannon, something's wrong either with you or with her. You didn't have to point. <laughs> okay? You know, uh, Jenna, does Owen need a babysitter? Yes. Does Clay, do, do your three kids need babysitters if you and your mom go out on a rare night out? Yeah. Absolutely. All right? Do my kids need a babysitter? Absolutely. <laughs> okay? Then, would Leela be safe by herself? <laughs> Why? Because they're kids, right? Because we know they need instruction. We know we can't live AJ and Scarlett along and think something good's going to happen. You know, the house isn't going to be standing. You know, we lie. And, and what Paul is saying here is that the law was like a guardian, was like a babysitter to those of God's people. It was there to help guide for a time being. But if, if Jevin needs a babysitter all the time, I mean, he did get married, so there's a little bit of that. 
But if he needs a babysitter all the time, something's not right. And Paul is saying that's the way we can view the law to some extent. The law, he says in 24, with the babysitter until we can be led to Christ so that from faith we would be justified. But when faith came, we are no longer needing a babysitter, a guardian. We are now mature enough to be left alone. But now we are, he says, sons of God. I realize there are some translations that say children of God. I think that's to some extent correct. Paul uses the term son here not in a masculine, macho, male-centered way. Not by any chance. But I think this is one of the few times in my head where we miss a whole lot if we don't understand the sons of God. Because being a son in Paul's day, when you just do it children, it loses the power that is there. So for those of you who want something a little deeper this morning, tune back in. Those of you who are fine with everything I've said so far, go ahead and tune out. All right? For just a minute, or at least just kind of don't let, don't fall too much asleep. But being a son meant intimacy with the Father. Because you, and, and this is what Paul is saying, as a son of God now, you have intimacy with God now. How do you form that intimacy? By prayer, by Bible reading, by obeying him, by being with his people. In that culture, if I called you a daughter of whoever, that meant none of that, unfortunately. And I think Paul has something great to say in just a few verses. But he's talking about, but now because of this, you have intimacy with God, regardless of your gender. You are a son of God. Sonship also meant you had a future. You have a future. You are no longer just hoping the day comes. It is there, and you have something even greater. As a son, you could have an inheritance. And he says over and over, you are an heir. And if an heir, then you have an inheritance. So that we are no longer slaves, but we are heirs through God. So every time you read uh, the word son in, in these verses from 19 through 4-7, you need to see it through the lens of this is someone who has an intimacy with God. You have a, a future with God. And it means that you have matured into adulthood with God. You no longer need somebody to babysit you. Jordan, are you glad you don't need a babysitter anymore? What, what would you think if I had to babysit you every time your parents ever left? You don't want to share those thoughts, do you? You're like, uh-uh, I'm running. Not that guy. Anyone but him. Now, Jordan is a great kid with a great witness. I hope, honestly, Jordan has a great witness with, with people. I've seen her have to go into very dark rooms. And I've heard you walk with her. But you are there for a reason. Sorry, I'm just going to say something to Jordan. You all just forget. Jordan. You are in the group that you're in for a reason. And that is the light of Jesus that I know shines through. With your smile, 
Okay, yeah, that one, a little bit of that one right there. Yeah, there it is. I think I can give you that. No, you are. You walk in the dark areas and you know it's dark. But you, but you have a pastor. You pray for you every day. Alright, back to the rest of us. You guys too. But she's been on my heart this week. When you're on my heart, I'll, uh, uh, I'll also just have a word for this teacher. Alright, yours is coming here soon. Let's go on with this one. Alright, sonship means that we have gone into maturity. Someone doesn't have to watch. Jordan, and when my kids get to that age where they don't have to have a babysitter, I know part of what they're going is like braver. Freedom! That's what Paul's trying to say here. You have freedom now. You don't need a babysitter known as the law to tell you what to do, what not to do, because you got it made. You have grown into maturity. So I ask the question, are you a child or an adult? Do you need someone to dictate to you as the law did the right for wrong? Or can you live in the spirit which will not go against the law of God, but it doesn't have to always be as boldly in your face? Can we believe that those who are in Christ Jesus can be mature and are now in an adulthood where the spirit of God can do the work that I don't have to do? I shouldn't have to follow Jim around at work every day and go, oh, Jim, sin, right there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, you better confess that sin. Come on now. You know, uh, I don't know how busy he would be or I would be if I did that. You know, but I don't have to do that. Because I can believe, as Paul says, that if he's in Christ Jesus, he is now into adulthood. That's why Paul says elsewhere, work out your salvation. Continue to mature in Christ. That we have this. And why? And we're getting to the point. At just the right time, Christ died. See, the law was there for a reason, but at the right time, Christ came, born of a virgin, under the law, to redeem us from the law. To say, hey, no more babysitters. You no longer need these words. Uh, coming to fruition, the words of the prophet Jeremiah. When he says, there is coming a time in the new covenant when I will write my laws. My laws will be in their heads and on their hearts. And the scripture Pentecost teaches us that what happened at Pentecost was the spirit came and resided on every single believer. You have the law right in Jesus summed up the law. Love God. Love others. Sounds too simple. And it is. But see, Christ did that to redeem us so that we don't have to be babysat any longer. <clears throat> How would you like it if I moved into college with you? You'd be alright with that, wouldn't you? And if I told you, oh, I'm sorry, hey, poop, it's 9.30. You need to go to bed right now. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Don't forget, uh, also in the morning, don't forget to shower. Please put on that deodorant. Okay, it worked out. Would you really like it if I did that? Wouldn't be awful for the first week. <laughs> the second week, you know, your roommate's going to go, who's this guy? Why does he keep telling you brush your teeth? You know. What's the point? Oh, no, Cooper, you're using the wrong pencil right there. Hey, don't forget to do your homework. 
Is he ever going to grow much from war? No. Because the point of parenting is that sooner or later our kids leave the house and don't come back. Part of parenting is we raise them up that they start to learn these things that we don't always have to be right there. Now, will they get it? Not always. But timing is everything. And sometimes we need to let them watch. And yes, does that mean they're going to fall? Yes. Does that mean they're going to scrape? Yes. But it also means they mature. They go the way they are. And that's what Paul is saying here. You are now mature. You are in Christ. He has sent the Spirit that is in you that cries out, Abba, Father. That cries out the intimacy that is there. Oh, what a beautiful thing. No wonder is in one of my favorite passages, as I start to try to close, that, that Paul says the Spirit within us groans. Groans as when we don't know what to pray. And, and the Spirit that is within us, the Spirit of God, that translates that and says, hey, Lord, this is really what Pastor Kim meant here. And Pastor Kim just thought he was groaning because of Arthur and Ice. That may be true, but there's more to it. You know, and so it is. But what's the point? So how, how should that make a difference? And it's not just a difference individually. Though I hope you hear that if you were in Christ, there is a different way of looking at the world. You have an intimacy that is not possible without Christ. And that is a beautiful thing. And we could stop right there and how great that would be. But see, one of the things you know I fight against myself personally, but also for us as a church, is that we don't see this gospel as just individual in nature. It's just me and Jesus, and it doesn't matter. Because that's not the world of the gospel. And so Paul makes some pretty bold claims in these verses. And he says in uh, verse 27, is where, I'll, where I'll start, for as many of you, or whoever of you have been baptized into Christ, if you have faith in Christ, now for Paul, there was no idea that you would profess faith in Christ and not be baptized. Okay? They went hand in hand, not that baptism saves, but there was no way of him thinking one could be a Christian and not be baptized. An unbaptized Christian for Paul in the early church was just almost a contradiction. Okay? And, and I, I, I like the way we do baptism. I like our understanding of baptism. But we need to understand that baptism is important. Okay? And if you've not been baptized, I'd like to walk you through that. If for those who are in Christ, you have been clothed in Christ. Or put the clothes of Christ on. So therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, race and cultural status is redeemed. No one culture is better than another culture. I think we need to hear that. Because sometimes we think our way is the better way and it is God's way. Not anymore. It used to be the Jews said our way is God's way. They were a theocracy, meaning God led. There have been no theocracies ever again. America is not a theocracy, it is a democracy, and there's a world difference. We're a great nation, and God has blessed us, and in many times we have blessed him back. 
but no race or culture is better than another. We have a current conflict going on. The, main, the majority of people in Russia are not the enemy. They are not. They are victims of this as well. And we must remember that. In fact, my guess is that if we had a Ukrainian and a Russian sitting right in this first row here, I wouldn't be able to tell which was which. They're gonna look exactly the same. Neither one is better than the other. No race or culture is better. In Christ, they're all redeemed. It doesn't matter. And he then goes on to say, not only is there no either Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. In Christ, social status is redeemed. Rich, not rich, a little less than not rich, Poor and poor group. In Christ, it doesn't matter. It is redeemed. We as a nation are very, very rich. The poorest in other countries is much more poor than our poor. But are we even looking out for our poor? Do we even engage those of a different socioeconomic status? Or do we just hope they pick themselves up by the bootstraps? They hope that they will do the work they need to do. In Paul's day, this is revolutionary. I would submit it's still revolutionary today. Because I don't know that we've gotten all the way past this. One of the things that is most concerning to me is we are seeing a flight away from our urban centers by Christians as we seek to be more successful and be better out, outside of it. Does Jesus care about the, can I be blunt to say ghettos of our world? Does Jesus care about the hoods of our world? Does the church care? Or we hope somebody else does that. Do the church care about the homeless? Do we care? about the homeless, or do we just hope no one will ever mention it? Do you know in our grand district, there's at least probably about a dozen families that are homeless. Where do they sleep? God only knows. And a few people are sleeping. Do you even know? I mean, we think it doesn't exist because uh, we don't have a care in the kitchen. We're all in our bed. They're in our woods. They're probably under underpasses. I don't know. You know, would they be welcomed here? We'd like to say yes. I'd like to say yes. That's my gut. But let's be honest. Some of us would go, man, I think I'll just go over here a little bit. I want to go back to this one for a minute. I think it's important. I know there's many within our culture here that think race is not an issue in grand. It is. And here's how I know. We had an executive minister attend our church many times. Probably more than any other church in our association. I'm not sure why. Because the very first time that executive minister was in our church, here were the words that were said to me by one of the leaders of our association when I asked, 
can I introduce you to Dr. Jones? I was the host pastor. I thought that was a great question to ask. The response was, I think I can find the only black man in the building. I hesitate to share that, but friends, that is our area. Right there. We had a young African-American come into the church just a couple weeks ago who had, within two hours, had four people call the police on him. Why? Because he was a big, tall African-American. And all he was trying to do was get out of town, but someone dropped him into town. Do we have a racial issue? Absolutely. We've had teachers leave our district because of it. And to think it doesn't exist in our churches is just a lie. Okay? And, and with the exception of Sukanya, the rest of us are all white here. Which means we need to first have a posture of listening. And, and, and Jim and Lisa, you have Native American. And there's issues that you, the Native American has been treated poorly over the years by predominantly white individuals. We need to listen. Not because we agree with everything they say, but when we start to listen, we gain the right to be heard. And this is an issue. I sit in meetings where this is becoming the issue. Okay? And we don't have to take bait on everything that is given us in the world, but we need to understand that if we are going to be in Christ, we need to let some of this just not be that much, that important while we sit and listen to our brothers and sisters. Because I'll tell you, there's one, there's one guy you need to meet in our, in our uh, uh, American Baptist life, and that is uh, Dr. James Wills from Toledo. I mean, that guy, one, he could pick you up if he wanted to. Uh, but man, he is the most encouraging uh, fellow pastor I know. Do what? And Rocky Carter from Dayton. Both of them are great guys. And Barb knows Rocky had it too. We need to meet them, okay? Maybe I'll invite them down to preach. Yeah, I'm thinking of Dr. Willis, sorry, because I work with him on the ABC Ohio board. But I think I can get that. Uh, and I told Dr. Willis one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to his church. I'm, I'm going to be the one that sticks out. Alright? So, you know, I think we need to we need to have conversations with those not like us. Racially, culturally, socially, okay? But then also in Christ, sexuality and gender are redeemed. This is revolutionary as well. He says, there's neither male nor female. Listen to this prayer that was prayed at the time of Jesus. Blessed be the God that he did not, blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be the God that he did not make me ignorant or a slave. Most of us could probably go, yeah, bless God because I'm not those. Well, we're all Gentiles. <clears throat> but take Gentiles and say, uh, you know, bless be the God who did not make me a Middle Eastern or Arab, you know, uh, or one of those. But then it went on to say, blessed be the God that he did not make me a woman. This was the world that Paul lived in. Do you see the power of what he is saying here? Now, some will say he didn't go far enough. Goodness gracious. Uh, Paul went as far as he probably could conceptually think of. When you have, when you have people praying, blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile, and Paul said, there is neither nor Greek nor Jew. There's no Jew nor 
Gentile in Christ. Well, well, there went that portion. Well, blessed be the God that he didn't make me an ignorant slave. And he goes on to say, in, he, in Christ there is neither slave nor free. Oh, my goodness. Well, at least, for most, at least I'm not a low woman. They will just stay low. Blessed be God that I am. And Paul says, and now for the trifecta, there is neither male nor female for you, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Or did you miss it? For we are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we put on Christ, it is no longer Sue, who is a female, who is an American. It is Sue, who is a Christian that, yes, also happens to be American and a female. Okay? And it's, he's not saying that gender doesn't matter. It matters. It doesn't say that your culture doesn't matter. It matters. But what he's saying, there's something greater. So when you put on Jesus, when you put on your pants, or you put on your shorts, or you put on your shirt, or your dress, or whatever, will you intentionally put on Christ that day? Because if you don't, then the answer to the question, are you a child or an adult, is you're a child. And it has nothing to do with you. And I don't care if you're 13 and you put on Jesus that day, and you walk into your school and you say, I'm going to love God and love people regardless of whether they smell or not smell. Whether they uh, come from uh, a great home or a mobile home or no home, and whether or not they're a male, a female, or they think something different, I'm going to love them anyway because in Christ, that can start to fall out of wayside. Now, that, that means if we are in Christ, we aren't bound by the law, but we have the Spirit of God in us, which means we will live differently. And He's going to get to that. And there are things when you put on Christ that you must also put on. It's kind of your way of knowing, is, did I put Christ on today? And you can do it. So I ask the question I started with. Are you a child or an adult? Do you need someone to babysit you today when you're a or will you wrestle with that? Christ says that, that if you are in me, you don't need a babysitter because the Spirit is in you. Do I need to babysit other Christians? Do you need to babysit other Christians? They may mess up. I think sometimes we blunt the faith of others when we try to do the work that only the Spirit can do. And sometimes we just need to pray the Spirit on That's a great thing and that's an awful thing. What do we need to do to some extent in this current climate? We need to pray the Spirit on world leaders. Okay? And, and when the Spirit of God gets a hold of a believer, that's a great thing. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of an unbeliever, that can be an awful thing, or they become a believer. And then we as the church ought to be the ones rejoicing first thing. I think we would have trouble sometimes with it. But are you a child? Are you an adult? If you are in Christ, you are, in the matter of Paul today, you are mature enough to not be a Now walk out of maturity with gentleness and humility. We pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this time. Lord, as we continue to walk in worship this day, as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, we know that this is a task that we need to be reminded of who we are in you. Amen.
Lord, that this is a task that we need to be reminded that walking with you means you will notice. And so though the world may not notice, you will. And so, Lord, may we walk humbly before you this day. May we allow you to be our strength this day. But may we also walk in maturity. May the Spirit of God uh, lead us and guide us, and may we trust and obey uh, in those ways. So, Lord, we know that you are with us now. And Lord, be with us as we conclude this service. And I pray this in the name of the Lord, in the name of the one who redeemed us.